In Galatians chapter 2, which Dr. Getch quoted just a few nights ago, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How many of you believe that Christ is living in you today? That was a little weak. That was sort of like a Methodist church with a lady pastor. Uh, Let's try that again. How many of you believe that Christ is living in you today? That's better. That was uh, seventh grade adolescence, amen, but I'll take it. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I believe that Christianity could be defined this way, Christ living through you. Christ living through you. Christianity is Christ in you, Christ living through you. Students, you were created to be inhabited. You are referred to in the Bible as a vessel, and the Bible says that you and I are to be vessels unto honor, and God created you to be inhabited. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, rather Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the emphasis of this revival week and of this, uh, this theme is that we cannot be alive to Christ unless we are dead to other things. You cannot be filled with the Spirit unless you are emptied of self. And so there are those who do not like preaching against sin or specific sins. They are struggling with the idolatry of rock music or CCM music. It is their idol, and if you talk about it, they they just get frustrated because it means so much to them. And yet many times the beat or the words or many times the other sins that could be mentioned are so strong in their heart that Christ is not alive and seen through their life as he could be because they are so alive to other things. And you know that idolatry could be many, many different things. But you cannot be alive to Christ if you are so alive to everything else. And so the Bible tells us that we must reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the indwelling Christ, Christ in you, This was something that the Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossian church about. And Paul was a minister of truth in a new dispensation of time. And this dispensation is referred to as the dispensation of grace or the church age. And this idea of Christ in you was not emphasized so much in the Old Testament. And yet, Paul the Apostle is now saying, listen, Christ is in the Gentiles as much as in the Jews. And this is a new dispensation. This is something that was being revealed to them. That dispensation continues to this very time today. Now, as we consider the dispensations briefly of the law versus the dispensation of grace, under the law, God demands righteousness from man under the law. Under grace, God gives righteousness through Jesus Christ. 
He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. So this was new territory. This was a mystery that was now being revealed to the uh, early church. And that was that whereas primarily in the Old Testament, righteousness was something that was seen as being earned, uh, uh, now righteousness is something that is given to the man or woman or boy or girl who would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this matter of grace, this age of grace, began with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the new dawn of the new covenant uh, that we celebrate, uh, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. John 1.17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so we live in the age of grace, and it was given to us not by a church, but by Jesus Christ. So this uh, indwelling Christ is a new invitation that Paul is sharing in the first century. Uh, it was also a mystery that uh, was not known prior but was now revealed. In fact, notice if you would in verse 26, the Bible says, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations. Now, a mystery is a sacred truth previously concealed. So the Apostle Paul is giving revelation from God, a sacred truth that had been concealed prior is now being made known to the first century Gentile world. In Ephesians chapter 3, by way of introduction still, the Bible says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, uh, 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 the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Some of you thought that was just an independent Baptist word. You'll find a lot of our independent Baptist words are actually Bible words. The dispensation of the grace of God. That term is found in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, which is given to me, you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So the mystery is that today God is uniting Jews and Gentiles together uh, and that Jesus is indwelling them personally, and that they can be alive in Jesus Christ. And so, what a wonderful dispensation. What a wonderful mystery that has been revealed to us. But how can we experience the abundance of Christ in us? You've seen it. You've seen people that say Jesus is living in them, uh, and yet uh, they fornicate, and yet they are not faithful in church, and yet they gossip. And sometimes one must wonder, hey, uh, where is the resurrection power that we sing about? How can that be? Obviously, they were not alive to Christ. They were not living His presence, practicing His presence, acknowledging the power that was within them. And this is what we want to learn about this year. How can we experience resurrection power? If the resurrected Christ lives in you, if you're going to lead a bus child to Christ and say, would you like to accept Jesus Christ into your heart? If Jesus Christ, the resurrected God, takes up dwelling place in your life, do you not suppose that we should be new? Different? Well, how does that work? I want you to jot just a couple things down. First of all, 
I want you to see that God has called us to be alive in his presence. Alive in his presence. Christ in you. The Christian life is a personal walk with Jesus Christ. He indwells us at salvation. It is a personal presence. Ephesians 3 and 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Uh, would you say that with me, please? Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Let's say it together. That Christ may dwell. So it's not unscriptural to say, would you like to receive Jesus Christ into your heart? The heart is the innermost being of a man. And, and when we say that, we're saying, would you like to receive Jesus into the innermost recesses of your heart and life? And when you do that, the Bible says that he indwells you personally. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How many of you memorized that verse when you were a teenager earlier in life? You memorize that? Really? Five of you? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? How many of you have memorized that verse? Let me see your hands. You're afraid I'm going to call you up here to say it, right? You'll learn this in pastoring, gentlemen. It's not always the new things you're always teaching people. It's getting them to come back to the basic things they learned in Sunday school. And I want to remind you today of one of those basic things. That if you're saved, the Lord is living in you right now. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you sensitive to the one that is indwelling your humanity? Are you sensitive to the one that is indwelling your humanity? How many of you are in love today? Anybody want to admit it? A couple of you? All right. How many of you have observed somebody since you got here that is in love? Anybody want to mention that? All right. Isn't it weird? It's like they can hardly, pardon this expression, go to the restroom without permission. They, they don't want to not get to the dining room just on time because they don't want to offend Gertrude. When you're in love, you tend to think always about Norbert or Gertrude. I really need to use the restroom, but I told her I'd be right here at 12, but I really need to use the restroom, so I'm just going to stand here in pain because I don't want her to think I don't love her. What I'm saying is when you're in love... You inconvenience yourself to make sure that you're on time and where you're supposed to be. When you're in love, you're very much consciously aware of where that person is. I mean, some people go to extremes like, you know, find my friend on the app. Oh, she's at Target. Oh. You're aware of the whereabouts and the presence of people that you love. And when they are there and you're in love... You do hold the chair, and you do mind your manners, and there's something different about you because this is the person that's so special to you. And I highly suggest you at least stay open to the concept of falling in love while you are at West Coast Baptist College. But fundamentally, I want to encourage you to fall in love with the one who indwells within you. Are you sensitive to the one indwelling your humanity? Lord, walk with me today. Let me walk with you today. 
Lord, I want to hear from you today. This is a personal presence. Your body is his temple. He's with you. This is a hopeful presence. The Bible says in verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, now he's living within you and he becomes your hope and you now have hope and you live with hope. Colossians 1.5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. One of our deacons, his father passed away a few days ago, and I put my arm around him, and I said, I'm sorry, and I'm praying for you. He said, oh, pastor, he said, he's in heaven with our Lord. He's in his right mind. He has his whole body. He said, I'm so thankful for that. And that is because of the fact that when he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, he received hope that he would spend eternity in heaven. And if you stay in Bible college and go out into the ministry, you will be sharing and spreading that hope full time. What a blessing. I mean, you could make new cars. You could be a physical therapist. You could be a veterinarian. You could do lots of stuff, but I'd rather give hope to a 16-year-old that now knows he's on his way to heaven or whose dad just died died and his dad is now in heaven. I'd rather give hope to men than to poodles or goldfish. Isn't it a blessing to be distribution agents of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hope, a hopeful presence. He indwells us at salvation. He indwells us by his spirit. We are born again by the Spirit. Can I encourage you then this semester to be sensitive to the one that is indwelling your humanity? Be sensitive to the one that is indwelling your humanity. If you're saved and God is living within you, then recognize Him. Look it. If I walked in here just from that door on the side over there, if I saw Brother Shepherd, I wouldn't do this like maybe some of you guys do. Or if I saw Dr. R. I'd not do that. I'd not walk by Brother Getch and he's sitting right there and I'm acting like he's not there. That's rude. And I love these men. And when I see them, I, I want to say hi to them. Be ridiculous just to act like they weren't there. You don't do that to your roommates. You don't do that to your boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't just walk right by them. You recognize them. So why do we treat Jesus like he's not there? When you sign out on the sign-out sheet, when you rise up from bed, when you go to work, why is it all of the sudden We act like Jesus, he's not at Michael's warehouse. And I'll remind you, he's very much at Michael's warehouse. If you're there and you're saved, he's with you. Oh, that he would be recognized. That we would hear him. That we would speak to him. Our children got my wife a Christmas present. And uh, they were so excited about this. It's one of these little Alexas. How many of you have one at your house? Any of you have one? And uh, when I saw it, it didn't excite me one bit. When I saw it, I thought, it's a communist plot. <laughs> what I, thought. I mean, I don't trust phones and Alexas. I mean, 
One time we were at Pottery Barn, my wife and I, and she was like, well, I kind of like the table that's about five feet long and has these kind of legs, and it's kind of like this color. I kid you not. We got in the car. Uh, I was waiting for her to come in. I turned on a news app on my smartphone, and up came the picture of the very thing she was talking about. Now, some communist was on the other end of my phone listening to that, <laughs> trying to sell me that, that table. Now we're going to have one in our house that's listening to everything we say. It just kind of makes me paranoid. I don't know why. I say, are you guilty about something? No, it just, I just don't like having some communist right there in my house. So I've been going up to it lately, and I've just been walking up saying, Alexa, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know who's on the other end of it, but I'm hoping they get saved. That's my plan. <laughs> but you, you got to call out its name and you know, the other day I thought, all right, I'll go along with the game. I'll try to find out what the temperature is, you know. So I said, Siri, what's the temperature? No response. Siri, what's the temperature? No response. Finally, it said, I do not respond to that name. Then I realized, all right, little, little mix-up in the name there. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that I have a God that even when I can't even say words, when my heart is so heavy with groanings that cannot even be uttered, He hears me. He knows me. But I've got to recognize and acknowledge His presence. Are you acknowledging the presence of Jesus Christ within you? We must be alive to his presence. Secondly, we must be alive to his purpose. When you are alive to the presence of Jesus Christ, he will guide you into his purpose. And the Bible says in verse 28, whom we preach. May I have every man say that phrase, please. Whom we preach. One more time. Whom we Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, no one who gives his life to Jesus will ever regret it. And here we see that when this uh, understanding of Christ in us is fully uh, uh, coming to our understanding and awareness and we're experiencing that, God begins to show us his purpose. And his purpose, first of all, is that we would proclaim Jesus Christ. And that is why we founded West Coast Baptist College to equip you grammatically, to equip you historically, to equip you musically, to equip you theologically, so that you can stand and proclaim, not yourself, but that you might be able to proclaim the riches and the wonder of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We preach. It is to proclaim. I had a guy write me a letter a few years ago and said, Dear Brother Chapel, I just want to tell you what millennials really want in church. You know, if it's all right, I'm going to try to find out what God wants. That's what I've been doing for 34 years. I didn't get up here and say, okay, Lord, what do 22-year-olds want? I've got to preach to them today. Oh, I've got to preach to 60-year-olds. Oh, now I'm going to preach to 30-year-olds. He said, I just want to tell you a little bit about what millennials want in church. We don't want the preaching stuff that's kind of like hard preaching. We just want you to visit with us a little more. And just don't give us like an outline or anything. Just give us Jesus. Don't give us any standards or stuff like that. Just give us Jesus and everything else will work out from there. But did you know that when God called me to 
preach. He called me to preach Jesus Christ. He called me to preach the whole counsel of God. He called me to teach. He called me to pray. And he called me to preach, which is to declare the word of God. And I'll tell you why men do not like preaching. Because teaching will tickle your mind, but preaching will convict your heart. When you hear something preached, you have a decision to make. But it's not just millennials, it's every generation. People often don't want to be brought to a point of decision because we are comfortable in our sin. Don't try to get me to change. But the purpose of every Christian, uh, everyone that has the presence of Christ has a purpose, and that purpose is to preach Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim, the Bible says. We preach Christ crucified, and we must preach. Notice, secondly, it says, warning every man. Now, some of you may say something like this subconsciously. Look, you know, I like when Brother Getch preached last night about you know, like the death and the burial and the gospel and the coming and the twinkling of an eye. That was so cool. And I really like it when they tell stories and jokes because that's really cool too. But I don't like it when they preach against sin and carnality and stuff like that. No preacher is worth his salt who is not doing both. Brother Tyler's here on the front row. He's a young father. What if he practiced that with his children? What if all he ever did was say, oh, you look so pretty. Oh, you're so wonderful. Let's take pictures for Nana and Papa. Oh, look, he's going out in the street. He's playing with the semi-trucks. Yay! You know what we'd say? What a fool. And I say that a preacher that never warns his flock doesn't love his flock. Don't you ever get the mindset, whether it's myself or some other guest preacher coming in, and they're preaching and they're passionately warning you about some doctrinal trend or some sinful thing. We, they, they might tell you some of the pitfalls that we see with men in ministry, whether it's women or money or whatever it is, and they're preaching about it. Don't you sit there with your little blustery, rebellious attitude and say, I just don't like this kind of preaching right here. That's like saying to the doctor, I just don't like it when you take my temperature. That's his job. His job is to tell you, open your mouth and stick out your tongue. And to put a big two-by-four on that tongue and push it down so he can see into your filthy throat. <laughs> In the germ sense. That's what doctors do. And preachers preach Christ, and then they warn. Now, at Colossae, there were heresies. There were false teachings, amongst which was Gnosticism, a teaching that denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, sometimes I preached Christ, but other times I had to warn you about things that took you away from Christ. And this is what God has called us to do. Preach the word. Be in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And don't be kind of the baby Christian that says, oh, I love it when you exhort me and say to me, good job, Johnny. You know, some of you grew up in the culture where everybody gets a trophy for joining the team. 
And we all want to be applauded and lauded. And everyone's a winner here. And, and we all are winners in Jesus Christ. But may I simply say, sometimes we need to know how we can do better. And that's what warning is all about. So he says we preach. Notice this. He says, secondly, whom we warn. And then notice the third word, teach. We preach, we warn, and we teach. Now, teaching refers to the imparting of truth. And in in essence, this could be a summary of West Coast Baptist College. You're going to hear preaching like this in Bible Chapel. You're going to hear warning, sometimes in a dorm devo, sometimes from Dr. Rasmussen or Brother Weaver. Someone's going to say, wait, 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 wait. Be careful about that relationship. Be careful about that false doctrine. Be careful about that uh, singing group. We just want to warn you. Why? We have seen the direction some of those things can take you. And you're going to get preaching, and you're going to get warning, and you're going to get teaching. And I'm telling you that biblically, we need all three. Teaching is the impartation of truth, Colossians 2.7. We are to be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. This is a pastoral responsibility. The bishop then must be apt to teach. This is every believer's responsibility. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why uh, uh, when I consider Christian music, I consider firstly uh, the lyrics of a song. Are they doctrinally sound and rich in truth? Is the song obviously rooted in the Bible? Because if it's not, I'm not interested in it. And it might have God's name in it even. And it might say, you know, some, something religious. It might say something about there was a spirit in the air. Oh, a spirit in the air, spirit in the air, spirit in the air. And, uh, and yet it may not have really much to it when you really listen the second time. You always want to have doctrinal songs and you want to have uh, songs that have a strong melody and that, are, uh, that is emphasizing the truth of the doctrine. Why? Because the Bible says that we're to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and you cannot admonish with a song that has no basis for admonishment. And I'm telling you that God has called all of us to admonish one another. He has called all of us to teach uh, the next generation. He has called all of us to preach His Word. And so God says our purpose now, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we're alive to His presence, then He's going to lead us to proclaim this truth to other people who do not have Jesus Christ within them. I think sometimes it would be horribly discouraging to find out Some Christian college students, and perhaps even some in ministry, the only time they ever witness is when it's organized soul winning time. We ought to be looking every day for somebody to talk to about Jesus Christ. And if you're aware and practicing his presence and alive in Christ, you'll be talking about Jesus Christ. You know, people get alive to a lot of things, some people are alive to sports. And this Sunday night, we'll have probably a delay of the uh, Super Bowl over in the Walther Center somewhere, and that's fine. It's wonderful. But can I tell you, this world is sick to death on sports, and many Christians will talk more this week about the Patriots than they will about Jesus Christ. And that ought not to be so. 
We are to proclaim. But let me tell you something else very quickly. We are to prepare people. Notice what it says in verse 28. It says, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. Notice this, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, the word present speaks to the fact that Paul was picturing in his mind that one day he was going to be there with those that he'd won to the Lord. Here they are, Lord. (laughs) They're being presented to you, and they're perfect in you. I have two daughters, Danielle and Christine. Danielle was, uh, she's, she's in her 30s, of course, now, but she was a type A. She had her devotions every morning, lots of mornings. Uh, I would, I'd walk by her room, and there she would be in her room having devotions and on her knees in prayer. And she would read Tozer when she was a junior hire and share with me about Tozer. And she would often tell me, Dad, you need to be careful. There's a man over there. I just don't like the look on his face. I think he's backsliding. Or there's a teenager I'm concerned about. She just had discernment dripping off of her. She wasn't judgmental, but uh, frankly, Danielle could pastor this church right now if I just get out of her way. She could step in here and take this over. That's Danielle. She's just type A. She's just got a lot of discernment. And, and then I have Christine. And, and, and she wasn't so much type A, but she had so much compassion and love. And, and uh, there's, there's a family in our church. They sit right here every Sunday. And, uh, and, and they came up to me one time and they said, we just want you to know why we joined the church. So I was getting ready. Must have been the preaching, maybe the music. I'm not sure, but they're going to tell me why they joined the church. They said, because of your daughter, Christine, she was a friend to our daughter. And she sat with her and she was a friend to her. Well, the day came for both of my girls to get married. That was the pits. It was the absolute pits. And by the way, if that day ever comes for some of you young ladies... Be so nice to your dad, right? When boys get married, it's like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. My son is getting married. Goodbye, son. God bless you. (laughs) Pay your own grocery bill. Okay, see you later. It's been real. (laughs) Oh, you know. When your daughter gets married, totally different feeling. Just totally. I mean, I I cried for weeks up to it. I, I had them break up for a while, Peter and Danielle. True story. I just said, I, why? I just don't have peace about it. I, they said, seriously? I said, Peter, I just don't have peace about this. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> and I really did not have a peace about it. So you know what they did? By the way, by the way, they both looked at me and they said, well, if you don't have a peace about it, we're not doing anything without our parents' peace. So they separated, and Mrs. Chapel said, you are the biggest stupid dum-dum I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I don't know if she's ever been more mad at me than during that period of our marriage. <laughs> and that's why Peter and Danielle got back very quickly, because I needed to have peace at home with my wife. So. <laughs> Anyways, a little drama, but uh, I hasten along. The day finally came. I had to walk Danielle from that back door to this front place right here, and present her to Peter. I had Dr. Gibbs on one side and Dr. Sisk on one side, just in case I fainted. They were going to both help me kind of do parts of the ceremony. I cried all the way down. I couldn't see where I was. I was just kind of a blubbering idiot. Who giveth, Brother Gibbs, who giveth this woman to be married uh, to this man? Her mother and I do. Something like that. Then, it's 
this is very painful for fathers. You can laugh all you want, but it's a very painful moment. You take your daughter's arm and you give it to him. And that's it. There you go. I have the power of suggestion now. I'm, I'm a nice man, getting older. But she's under him now. She belongs, they're one flesh now. I'm dad. Now, we still have an awesome relationship. But at that moment, I had taught, I had led to Christ, I had invested. But at that moment, I was presenting her to her husband. A beautiful picture of what takes place with the Christian. For we, as the bride of Christ, one day will meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, now listen to me, preachers. Paul said, we preach and warn and teach because we want to present every man complete in Jesus Christ. Will somebody be there by your side when you see Jesus? Somebody that you saw accept Jesus? Somebody that is now complete in Jesus? Will you be there presenting them? Will you have the privilege? Because that is the joy of ministry. I want you to see here, we're to be alive in his presence. Alive in his purpose. And then notice finally, this semester, alive in his power. Alive in his power. Verse 29. Let's read this together. Ready? Begin. Whereunto I also labor. All right, find your Bibles. Let's find your Bibles. Verse 29. Ready? Begin. Whereunto I also labor, striving, which worketh in me mightily. Now, we see the method of our labor here. It's found in the word striving. Our theme verse for this church, Philippians 1.27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It pictures really uh, two men rowing in a rowboat. The Greek word soon athleo speaks of striving or rowing together, racing together. And God says that we are all in this together. And that's how we ought to view this student body. We're here to help each other, pray for each other, and work together for a great semester. That's the way it works. That's the way it should work in a great church. Everybody has their part. I went over to Santa Barbara some years ago with my wife and, and uh, someday, Dr. R., we need to go. Maybe this semester take some students to Santa Barbara. Maybe this spring. Who's in charge of activities? Dr. Shetler? How about that? Does that sound like a good idea? A couple buses over there. Beautiful day. Oranges in the orange groves. I've got it in my mind right now. in and out Burger right there on 101. Just stop there. But you get up to Santa Barbara, you pull off on Cabrillo Avenue, you turn left there and you pull that bus over, and you'll see the beautiful Santa Barbara Pier. Absolutely beautiful. Restaurants, yogurt shops. How many get in the picture with me? Beautiful. And uh, right before you get on that pier, they have all these bicycles and, like, uh, carts that you can rent and ride around. And so Mrs. Chapel said, oh, look at that. It's a tandem bike. Wouldn't that be wonderful? She said, we could rent one of those and ride one of those together. I said, oh, great. That sounds great. It was kind of a date thing. I said, all right, let's do that. So I rented one of those things. Man, I got on that bike. Of course, I had to get on the front because I had to steer because I am a man. <laughs> Men steer, right? And uh, that's another message. I'll preach that one sometime. Just remember the title for me, Men Steer. That's a good, good title. Okay. So I'm steering that thing. And after a while, I'm thinking, man, this is beautiful and everything, but this is work. And I looked around, 
Mrs. Chapel, she's holding handlebars. She's not even pedaling, not even trying to pedal. She's got her feet up right behind the, my seat. She's like, oh, yeah, this is great. And that's how the average Baptist church works. Some people tithe. Some people go soul winning. Some people are faithful. And other people are just coasting. Right? And God wants all of us to be a part of his work. Striving together in our, in our service for the Lord. But notice the method is striving, but notice the might of our labor. The might. The Bible says in verse 29, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Lord, empower me, strengthen me, work through me, help me in this class, help me at the workplace, give me your power. Philippians 2 and 12, wherefore my beloved as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God says, I want to work in you, then I want to work through you. And, and sometimes that gets back to what I was saying about the character dilemma, or the, the uh, talent dilemma. That is to say that we can say, Lord, I've got this handled. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I can sing. I can, uh, they need me on the basketball team. We've never needed anybody on the basketball team here so much that we would cut a rule for them. You see, it's not about our ability. It's about his ability. And this is what is spoken of here, which worketh in me mightily. It is a mighty working. Mary Slessor was a missionary in the 1800s to Africa. She was from England. She was 5'2", weighed probably about 90 pounds. She went to Africa. Some of her friends came to visit her. And they found that she had led an entire village of people to Christ, including two of the chiefs. And her friends from England were just kind of amazed the way she lived, the dirt floors, this whole group of a couple hundred people that were saved, and they were discussing it. And as they were discussing the fact that this village had been saved, they could not believe it. And one of the chiefs overheard them speaking and said, you have clearly forgotten to think about this woman's God. There are a few of you Nobody expects you to graduate from college or be in ministry because you are, well, whatever their opinion is. But when you do graduate and when you are a missionary in Africa and when God is using you mightily, there will be people who will be able to say, you know, it really wasn't Mary. It was the one who is in Mary. Christ in me, alive in Christ. And I'm here to tell you, God can take a 90-pound female student from this college and win an entire village while the 200-pound Hulk Hogan man from this college is off in some contemporary church working at some gas station, doing whatever he thinks he wants to do with his life, accomplishing absolutely nothing. God is not looking today for size or talent or IQ. He's just looking for somebody that will acknowledge that he actually lives in them. Somebody that will just listen for him, somebody that will just talk to him, 
Somebody that when they remember he's there will say, Lord, forgive me for filling up so much of my life with sports and the mundane things of this world. God, I want you to work in me. I want you to work through me. God, I want to be alive to your presence. I want to live out your purpose. I want to know your power, God. I want you to use me in this life. Is Christ in you? Is he? Are you acknowledging the one that indwells? your humanity? Are you alive to him? Do you have a personal walk with him? If you're alive to his presence, are you seeking his purpose? Or are you doing like one year Bible and then I'm going to go get a job and buy a Lamborghini? Or have you actually considered that his purpose for you might have something to do with preaching and warning and teaching your generation? I'll tell you why so many do not go into the ministry. They're not alive to his person. They're not listening to him personally. It's not that God has stopped calling preachers. It's that men have stopped answering God. You cannot answer a God that you never listen to. But if you are alive to him personally, you can then live his purpose for your life. And you don't have to do it on your own. It is according to the power that worketh in you mightily. It is the power of God. And it can work through you in teaching and preaching and ministering. And when he does, you'll step back and say, whoa. Somebody just got saved. And I know that wasn't me. That was God in me. And if you're like me, you'll get back down on your knees and you'll say, Lord, that was so awesome. Can we do it again? Could you help me, Lord, to do that again? Because I want someone else to get saved. I want to present someone else before you. Lord, use me. Are you alive to his presence?